0: And welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeline. Jordan, we got our soccer fixed today with three more games from the MLS's back tournament.
1: When there's three games in, in a day, it seems like that first game is like eons ago.
0: Yep, it feels like it's a whole separate day.
1: Yeah, so... Um, thanks for reminding me. I got to go a little bit farther back in my notes, but I'm there. I'm good. We're ready to go.
0: <laughs> so today we've got SKC's 2-0 win over RSL. We've got FC Cincinnati's 2-0 win over the New York Red Bulls and the 2-2 draw between the Colorado Rapids and Minnesota United. Let's start with that game that was from eons ago between SKC and RSL. SKC get that early goal with Johnny Russell off of a corner kick in the first minute and then get another goal at the end of this game with Jerso Fernandez in the 86th minute.
1: I thought that that is a good depiction of the game. If you think about that, there was a goal at the beginning, there was a goal at the end. And in between, it was a lot of back and forth. And there were times where RSL looked the better team. There were times where SKC looked the better team. But one of the things I liked about from RSL is that they were trying to high press right and put skc under pressure high up the field they were they were typically in like a 442 block right and when those two front runners engaged the wingers would go to the next player and one of the midfielders would st- would try to step up to the holding midfielder That left a lot of the times Kyle Beckerman as that like lone player. And what SKC did a really good job of, and a lot of times it was Espinoza, Espinoza would just float off the side of Beckerman and be the outlet for SKC during that high press. And I think there was two or three times where I noted that that was the way that SKC was getting out of this press from RSL. So it's like it was almost there. For RSL in in a lot of moments, but it was just not quite cohesive enough.
0: I think the same thing almost about Sporting Kansas City in this game. Uh-huh. They they haven't been fully consistent in this tournament. They've shown flashes. I thought I mean this is more than a flash, but I thought they played well for the first two thirds or three quarters of that game against Minnesota United, their first game of this tournament. Yeah. But since then, they lost that match. They ended up losing to Minnesota. They barely beat a nine-man Rapids team, and even in this 2-0 win, yes, they had moments like that where it's good positioning from Roger Espinosa to help the team get through the high press, or it's nice moments from Gianluca Busio using his body to get the ball between the lines or behind the line and play forward. But they still didn't look particularly dangerous in possession, I don't think, until that Gerso goal with the Alan Polito playing between the lines right in front of RSL's back line and then switching the ball over to the right side for Gerso to go 1v1 and then curl that ball into the back of the net with his left.
1: Yeah, it was one of the super sub goals we saw today. But I think SKC has its moments and things are still clicking for how they want to attack with a front runner like Polito, right? And I think that there's really moments where it seems like it's it's working, but I, I am not gonna stop talking about Polito because I feel like the things he does are so smart. And you and I have talked about when teams are building up, um, and there's no pressure on the ball. So imagine this for SKC. There was a buildup coming down their left side. Polito was holding his spot as at number nine. And as the outside back engaged a little bit with the winger, Polito's making a run in between the seam of that outside back and the center back. So that's the first ru- wave of running. And then right behind him, so we've seen that, that run, right? Maybe in the, the, between the center back seam. And right behind him, though, in this game, Johnny Russell was making a run in between the other seam. So it was almost as if SKC had these two options to either go down the line near to Polito or try to clip the ball in between the center backs, into Russell. And that was a dangerous look. It didn't pan out for them, but you could see where they were thinking that attention's going to go to Polito. so what's next? What's after this Polito option?
0: And we're going to see more of Sporting Kansas City in this tournament. They're on to the knockout rounds. They've advanced out of Group D. Real Salt Lake has advanced out of Group D as well. One thing, Jordan, that I've loved in this tournament is those little water break interviews from the coaches. Oh my gosh. So much good. Freddie Juarez. Yeah, Freddie Juarez. So much good insight in this interview in particular. Taylor Tallman was talking with Freddie Juarez in that interview about Krylak and Miram tucking inside a little bit and combining. And Freddie Juarez talked about how that was intentional. They wanted to be placing two players, two midfielders on either side of Ilié as sporting Kansas City's number six because they felt like those spaces and by flanking Ilié, they could get into those two spaces to make Ilié choose between Going to one player, going to Miram or Krylak, and I noticed watching for that specifically both before and after that conversation, uh-huh. I noticed that sometimes it was Miram and Krylak, other times it was Beckerman and Miram, and other times it was Everton and Beckerman. It was fluid, and I think that can be a greater discussion point about the makeup of RSL's roster. They have fluid attacking pieces: Beckerman pushing forward, Krylak dropping in, Miram tucking inside, Rusnak when he's healthy floating across the front line. They have so many different interchanging pieces. Are they fitting together well right now? No, not yet. But I think there is talent there and there is the potential for real flexibility and pretty soccer in the attack.
1: They had a nu- numerous opportunities and a lot of it happened in those pockets of space next to Illier right? Initiating uh, some kind of decision-making there. But it also happened because Corey Baird was making defenders make decisions as well.
0: I think this flank illier tactic from other teams in possession could be a way to take down SKC.
1: Do you think that also RSL knows that because players have tried to flank Beckerman, hmm. and he doesn't have that lateral speed that he used to? And and of course they have Everton, and he can he is a great holding mid for them in this league, right? And he kind of plays a little bit more as like a six eight. He can get up the field a little bit more and cover a little bit more ground, but I think maybe that's why Freddie Juarez is maybe more knowledgeable about that because they also have to watch out for that
0: it's smart and just I'm a gonna, thought it's a good thought I'm gonna be watching for that for how teams attack SKC going forward in this tournament and how Peter Vermees maybe counteracts that attack yeah. and play that is game one on to the second game of the day FC Cincinnati's 2-0 win over the New York Red Bulls I'm gonna say that one more time What? FC Cincinnati's 2-0 win over the New York Red Bulls FC Cincinnati advancing out of group E the Red Bulls are out of the tournament Cincinnati and Yopstam deserve a lot of credit.
1: Yeah. I thought that they had a game plan. And one of the things that when you're coming into a team and you're trying to develop a culture and a style of play, and it, you always start with who you are defensively. And I thought that defensively in this performance, Cincinnati showed that they could do something that maybe wasn't pretty, but they defended in a deep, like five three, two block. Sometimes it looked like a four four two, but it was a lot of the times a five back. And they just made it really difficult and clogged every passing lane. So
0: much of that defensive solidity should be attributed to the shift away from the man marking to the more zonal defensive block. It's allowed them to be much more solid defensively. It's limited the amount of times that players are getting dragged out of position and runners are moving into those now vacated spaces. Yes, Cincinnati haven't played a really good possession team since making that switch. But regardless of their opponents, they've taken care of business by shutting out Atlanta United and shutting out the Red Bulls.
1: That's a really good point. Two shutouts. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, let's talk goals. Yuya Kubo gets the first one of this game in the 43rd minute off of a pretty massive mistake from Tarek, who doesn't really clear the ball that Gupman plays forward and, and he sort of just ends up directing it right to Kubo. Kubo collects the ball and finishes from just outside of the box. It's, it's pretty easy right before halftime. Uh-huh. Then we move forward into the 57th minute. This goal comes off of a corner kick. Harris Madunian has the corner. He takes it and hits the ball to the near post, where Florian Velo unintentionally heads it past Jensen to make it 2-0 to FC Cincinnati. A smart corner kick setup, I think, with numbers stacked at the near post for Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, we were both actually looking at different things. So you, I didn't notice the numbers at the front post for Cincinnati. I was very fixated on Jensen, the goalkeeper for New York Red Bulls, and he, he was bothered by a player for Cincinnati standing right in front of him. And he was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him, trying to get him out of the way. And if you're a player on the opposing team, you're allowed to stand there as long as you're not impeding, you know, like really disturbing them, but he wasn't doing anything wrong. Right. And I think that attention that Jensen gave, he, as he shoved in the last time, the ball got kicked. And I just think he was off. Like he wasn't set. He wasn't still, he wasn't focused on what was happening. And this is a game of small decisions and small moments of focus and unfocus. And that was an unfocused moment for me.
0: Shifting over to the New York Red Bulls after Cincinnati go 2-0 up, they do look a little bit better. They had been largely not lackadaisical because they always have that pressure mindset, but they hadn't been dangerous. Eventually, they go all in. Chris Armas brings in two strikers off the bench and some other attacking changes, but it's too little too late for the Red Bulls. So much discourse and discussion surrounds you know, the Red Bulls, they can't break teams down. They don't have the ability to, to attack in possession. And we've talked about that before. But I wanted to know why. I watched this game through the lens of why do the Red Bulls struggle in possession? And so I want to ask you that first, Jordan, before I give some of my thoughts.
1: This is what I saw. The first thing I wrote down with a lot more A's and a lot more Y's than needed is I said, way too narrow, <laughs> way too narrow, So if you're trying to break a team down and you stay in the width, in the first half, the New York Red Bulls were attacking in the width of the six. That is a small area to attack. And they rarely would try to find the ball wide. And if they did, there was nothing that pulled Cincinnati out of their shell, right? Nobody tried to take somebody on. Nobody made an attacking move towards the goal to create any kind of Dysfunction in Cincinnati to say, OK, we got to go. We got to go press for this. It was just all straight down the middle. And I actually think New York Red Bulls are a good team combining around players when they have numbers there. Like There were a number of times where they're centrally with a lot of players near the top of the box and they can play and pass and play essentially Rondo around the other team. But that's not getting you anywhere because at some point there's going to be more players for the opposing team than yours and you're going to hit a roadblock. I noticed a difference in the second half is Omir Fernandez, I, I thought, actually had a pretty good game for Red Bulls. He was lively. He was pretty all over the place. And he received the ball on the left side and he got an opportunity on goal. And it all came because he picked the ball. He he dragged himself wide. And in that four-two-two-two system, somebody has to create the width. And by moving one of those midfielders or one of those center forwards out wide, then you just disrupt how the defense is defending you. So Fernandez goes out wide, uh, midfielder shifts, and they shift too slow, so he beats him. And then what happened is Medunjanin has to move. And when Medunjanin moves, then the Red Bulls can play that little tiki-taka kind of soccer they want to play. And it led to an opportunity... Not on frame, but off the side netting. So it's not as if the Red Bulls can't play in possession, but it can't be like down the center channel of the field.
0: I love that you highlighted that wide play because that's something that I had written down as well. When they have the ball out wide or in, maybe in the half space because the Red Bull style ideally is to not move the ball wide. They want to play as vertically as possible within as small, as narrow of a space as possible. But Yes, when, but...
1: Go but ahead. Not, I agree with you, but I'm saying if you want to be good in possession, you also have to use that space. You have to be as big as possible.
0: 100% agreed. No, I, I do agree with that. And we saw the Red Bulls shift things a little bit wider in the second uh-huh. half. There's a sequence that I wrote down where Ben Mines has the ball on the right side of the attack. In the 65th minute, Kyle Duncan and Omir Fernandez make the exact same run to try to give him an option. They run into the same space and it just disintegrates from there. The play drops that. dead. yeah. That is what clued me into the fact that when the ball goes wide, the Red Bulls really don't in most situations know what to do. Yeah. And that's a big problem because possession soccer, it is important to use space and to take advantage of opportunities, especially when a team like Cincinnati is clogging in the middle. You have to play into the space. We've talked about it a number of different times of the last week or two. You need to exploit that space and force them to shift and force the defense to shift and the players to move around. Yeah, The Red Bulls aren't doing that.
1: The other thing I would say about the Red Bulls is I get curious if you're going to play in that system with those two center those two center strikers, right? In the 4-2-2-2, the box midfield. Don't you think you have to mix up the type of center forward that you have? Like have more of a post-up type of player and more of a line penetrating type of center forward? Hmm. I don't think they have that mix quite right yet. Because how do you utilize those players in the midfield when you have all those numbers if you don't have somebody to connect the lines? And to be able to connect the lines, it's important to have somebody else who's trying to stretch, right? Because then there's this this balance and decision-making that the other team has to play, and then you play off of their decisions, essentially. So I just don't think that the that center pairing is quite the right flow for what they need.
0: There are lots of holes in the Red Bulls if they do want to be breaking teams down in possession, because that's not what they're built for. But we see that they need to adapt in certain games. They needed to do it against the crew. They needed to do it against Cincinnati. And they were unable to do so. Yeah. Moving on to the third game of the day, a 2-2 draw between the Colorado Rapids, who were eliminated before this game even started, and Minnesota United, who were through before this game even started. Early goal for the Rapids, two goals in the middle from Ethan Finley from Minnesota United, and one goal from super sub Jonathan Lewis to even the game for the Rapids.
1: Where were was this Rapids team the last couple games? <laughs> Did you feel that way?
0: Sleeping, napping. Yeah, I definitely felt that way.
1: I, uh, this is what we expected to see. You know, maybe not Eunice Nomley on the outside in a uh, winger role or like outside midfielder role, but their intensity and their fire to get after it and know that they are good soccer players. Like they played well in, for chunks of the game. And I think it all started off with their intensity to high press right away. I felt like Minnesota was really struggling to get a hold of the game because the Rapids did a good job of squeezing to one side defensively. And then as Minnesota tried to get out, they were just picking the balls off.
0: The margins were small for Minnesota with possession because that's also not what they want to do. Adrian Heath wants to play against the ball and the Rapids sort of took that before Minnesota could get there. It's like, you know, two people are racing for one single spot, maybe in musical <laughs> chairs or something like that. And and the Rapids got there first and they sat down and that meant, OK, we're going to play defensive and we're going to high press and we're largely going to sit in a defensive block and transition a little bit. That's where the first goal comes from. Alonso loses the ball with a little pressure from Diego Rubio. And then it's Benaze who plays Kai Kamara into the box for a ridiculously calm finish. It oh looked gosh. like Kai Kamara couldn't even be bothered to, to have to put in more effort because he knew he was going to score it.
1: Yeah, my dad was like, "Is that the right type of finish there?" And I was like, "Why would you not pass it in the back of the net if you could just pass it, right?" Like it it did. It just seemed so easy. I do want to talk about Benizet though because I felt like this was his best game of the tournament. Okay. He he was getting caught on the ball. Too many times, I think, in the first couple of games, right? He was trying to dribble out of things, and maybe that's one on him. Maybe it's two on who is supporting him, and he didn't have enough of support, Support, right? So he was trying to dribble out of things. But in this play in particular, he did the exact right thing. So you talk about Alonso losing the ball in the midfield. uh, I think it was Diego Rubio that was in the mix there. Yep. Benese picks a ball up, and he... Goes at the heart of this Minnesota team, which is that space where Alonzo is no longer. And because of that f- initial dribble, I think it was two, three dribbles that got him right in front of the center backs. That opened up options. It was a, a brilliant dribble and something that like doesn't really, you, you don't really think about. But when Alonzo is out of that spot, you have to punish Minnesota.
0: Speaking of Minnesota, we got two goals from Ethan Finley. As I mentioned before, Finley had a great game in this yeah. match. He dribbled at Sam Vines and didn't turn away, didn't shy away from that 1v1 matchup with one of the best 1v1 defenders in Major League Soccer. And he gets two goals. And I want to focus on the second goal here.
1: Okay, wh- what about the goal?
0: So let me set the scene here. It's it's okay. Gregouche plays the ball, a perfectly weighted ball, behind Sam Vines and into Metiner who runs onto it. Metiner then cuts the ball back for Finley, who finishes and makes it 2-1. But that's the surface level. Okay. I want to dig a little bit deeper into Ethan Finley's movement in the box on this play. So as Grey Goose passes the ball to Metaner, Finley is positioned between Colorado's two center backs. That's Drew Moore and Lala Sabubakar. He's spaced out evenly and a little above those two center backs inside the box. Then right as Metaner gets on the ball, Finley makes a hard cut towards Abubakar, running right at him before immediately cutting back to his spot between the two center backs. That hard fake... Freeze Finley up at the edge of the six yard box and allows him to get on the ball right at the end of the cutback to score at the edge of the six yard box. That fake wow. is everything on this play, and it's what frees him yeah. up to score.
1: Yeah, and it's good. It's good that they both him and Metinier know what space they want to attack before they even attack it. Mm-hmm. Like Finley is not running into that space until probably Metinier already played the ball, and he's cutting back as the ball is getting played. Right, the timing of it had to be so perfect, and it it is a testament to this Minnesota team to know okay when you get to the end line here are typically the areas that are going to open up if a if the back line is dropping as hard as they are you got to play it right in front of them right right in front of that space where finley ends up picking up the ball and and scoring a ridiculous finish like the the, the pace on the ball that Metair played him Finley did a good job to get it back in back on the frame of goal
0: Jordan, you got anything else on this goal or this game before we close today? Uh,
1: the, the one thing I want to say I just saw on that goal actually is, yes, it was a good play by Minnesota, but it also was, we talk about Sam Vines a lot, and this was a moment that if, if you're Vines and the ball goes back to Gregoosh, and before you're, you can't get one-two there, right? You can't have that ball get played in the scene where it got played. And I think Vines was just too late in sl- dropping back a little bit, cutting off that angle, because that's exactly where you don't want the ball to play, to be played, because as a defender, then you have to turn your body the other way and recover. It, whereas if he just, backs himself up, cuts that space off, and it gets played in front of him, he can go run towards Metonair and defend him 1v1 faced up. So I think this is the difference between defenders that we see at the highest, highest levels, right? And Sam Vines. Yes, he's a great defender, and he's going to continue to get better. But that little defensive movement to get him back in the seam and then be able to have the play stay in front of him is huge, and it costs him a goal.
0: We're not going to see any more of Sam Bynes in this tournament, but we will see Minnesota United, as well as several other teams that we talked about in this episode, playing more games in the knockout round. Jordan, we've only got one more day of group stage action.
1: Wow, we almost did it, Joe.
0: <laughs> Time flies. For group stage,
1: for group stage.
0: For group stage. Time does fly. And listeners, we'll be back again tomorrow with the final group stage episode of this MLS's back tournament. Jordan, thanks for chatting with me.
1: Thanks for chatting with me, Joe.
0: Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again tomorrow.